This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. If you read people who write about this psalm, there's several themes that they highlight, uh, and I'm going to write. Up, I'm going to talk about three of them. Uh, that are phrased different ways. I referred to a book by Kevin DeYoung. He used these three descriptors, which I found helpful, and I'm just going to borrow uh, because he can have them back. I'm not stealing them. I'm just borrowing. But he, he uses these theme headlines, which many people do, that I think is, is helpful. In this, in this uh, poem to the Lord about his word, we find delight in God's word. We find desire for God's word, and we find dependence on God's word. So I want to talk about each of those. How should I feel about God's word? What should my affections, what should my heart be for God's word? First of all, it should be delight. Delight. Now, the psalmist uses the word delight, but he also uses a broader description of his affections. He uses words like love. He uses words like joy. Look at verse 14. So open your devices. We're going to move through a number of verses here or open your Bibles. If you have your device, let me be like a flight attendant and say, please put it in airline mode. That way you can access your app, but you cannot access the Internet, and that's a great self-control. Uh, it's great self-control when you're having your devotional time as well. Put it, you open the app, but put it in air, you know, airplane, air, airplane mode is what I meant to say. Put it in airplane mode, and then you can't, you can't check Facebook and do that kind of stuff. Um, good, good. Okay, here we go. Verse 14, he says this. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So he's speaking um, of a delight in the word of God. And both, both of those verses set a theme, a trajectory that's going to run throughout the entire Psalm. Now, it's using different words for delight. The first word in verse 14, the way of your testimonies, I delight uh, as much as in all riches, is a, uh, is a delighting word that's sort of festive or sort of exultant. It's used in other verses as well. Look at verse 111, still in Psalm 119, 111. In verse 111, we see this sort of festive delight. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. How does the psalmist feel about the word of God, the testimonies? They are the joy of my heart. What, what inflames my heart? What is fireworks in my heart? What is celebration in my heart is your word. It's celebratory delight. The joy of my heart. Look at verse 162. Verse 162, again, we see this sort of festive delight. 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Spoil sounds like a bad word, right? Spoiled milk or something like that. Spoil, in this sense, is a word that is uh, it's a word of something you gain from, from war. It's kind of the plunder. If you're in a battle, the goods and the plunder that you win... If you defeat the other city or the other people or the other nation, what you get from it, uh, that is uh, what you win. So he's saying here, I rejoice at your word, joy, delight. When I encounter your word, it's like I just won a battle and we went into the city 
And we couldn't believe how much, we had no idea when we took this city, we had no idea the gold, the jewels, the livestock that they had behind their walls. We couldn't believe what we got. It was like, I found great spoil and we were celebrating. We didn't just say, well, glad we won that war, that's nice. We were celebrating at the plunder of war, the spoil we took. I'm like that when I read your word. This guy feels something for God's word. And it drives him. Festive delight. Now, other times he uses a delight that's more like a sustaining delight. It's not like we happened upon spoil. It's not like that. It's more of sustaining. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. That's sustaining. Your words are my counselors. God, I... I am delighting in the direction for life that I get from your word, in the wisdom that I get from your word, in the counsel. I don't know what to do so often in my life. As an employee, as a husband, as a parent, as a neighbor, as a friend, I don't know what to do. But you know what? Your word is my personal counselor. You speak to me through your word. It tells me the path to go. And that is my delight. Getting counsel and wisdom is a delight to my soul. That's how he speaks about the Word of God. It sustains me day in, day out. Or verse 92. I know I'm bouncing around, so, but instead of going verse by verse, we're just sort of putting these under themes. Because actually, if I did go verse by verse, you would find that he says a bunch of different things. Sometimes two or three verses in a row will be on the same theme, but sometimes it's more like Proverbs, where you read a verse, and the next verse you don't see how they're quite connected. Uh, in the Hebrew, they're connected under the letter. It's a poem you know, where each line is connected by the letter it begins with. But in English, we don't get that. Uh, and so sometimes it's hard to see the connection. So I am bouncing around a little bit and, and thematically uh, grouping these statements. A sustaining delight. If, verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If your law had not been my delight, your word, I would have perished in my affliction. He went through something very difficult, an affliction, challenging, suffering. When I went through that, if I didn't find pleasure in your word, if I didn't find delight in your word, that season I went through was so hard. If I didn't find joy in your word, I would not have made it, is what he says. Look at verse 174, the second verse from the end of the poem. It's great to hear pages turning. That's a beautiful sound. It brings delight to my soul. Verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. I'm waiting for salvation, full deliverance. My ultimate salvation is when I will see you face to face. I'm waiting for that day, but until then, my delight is encountering you through your word. As I await salvation, your word is my delight. So it could be a festive delight. We came up on the plunder. It's the joy of my heart. It could be a festive delight. It can be a sustaining delight. Here's another thing the psalmist does in this poem. He writes about the Bible as the word of God. He would have specifically been writing about uh, the Torah. That's what he would have had. He wouldn't have had the New Testament, for instance. He'd been writing about the first five books of the Bible, likely. But he, he also compares it. So there is this superior delight, a festive delight, 
a sustaining delight, a superior delight. Look at verse 72. Verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. God, your word is greater than wealth to me. If I could have a stack of money and I could have your word, it, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. I'm going for your word because it is superior. It's a superior delight. That money would bring me delight, perhaps, because it would provide all kinds of things and opportunities and comfort and security, but your word brings me so much more. He says something very similar in Psalm uh, 119, uh, in verse 127, going towards the end, verse 127. He says, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, and then in that verse, he, goes, he says at the end, above fine gold. So your commandments, your word is greater than gold to me, but he, he accentuates it, and he says it's greater than fine gold. What's fine gold? Well, it's the highest precious, it would have been the most precious uh, value of, to them. The greatest physical, the most precious physical commodity would have been fine gold. And he says this, what he's saying is, through that statement, is he's saying that, that what's most precious to me is not the most valuable gold. What's most precious to me, God, is your word. That's what I really delight in. And then he uses strong language, the delight of love. It's a superior delight, but it's a delight of love. Look at verse 97. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. He doesn't use the word delight there, but he uses a word where he uses elsewhere in the psalm as well, which is the word love. It's my meditation all the day. He's writing, this is poetic language. And it would be like someone, if, if, uh, if you were writing a person you love, your spouse, uh, your fiancé, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, if you were writing about love uh, like this, I love, your, I love you, I think about you all day. That's what he's saying. He lo when you love someone, they stay on your mind. You think about them. You remember them. Uh, you look forward to being with them. And so what he's saying is, throughout my day, I love your word, your law. It, it's just bubbling up in me. Not, he's not talking about some kind of romantic, he's not talking about, this isn't bizarre. He's talking about, this is the passion of my heart. So throughout the day, I'm thinking about things I've learned of you in the word. I'm thinking about you, God, and how great and glorious and wonderful and loving and holy and majestic, uh, how kind how powerful you are all day long as your word just kind of pops into my mind. I think about you. I love your word. Or he does something that's a little hard to read at some places, hard for us to understand. It shouldn't be hard to read. It's God's word, but it's hard for us to understand. He does the flip side. It, he, he has a really strong reaction to people who don't love God's word. Look at verse 53. Look at God, uh, verse 53. Strong language. So if you really love something, the opposite passion can be a indignation. That's the word he uses in 53. Hot indignation seizes me. I'm mad is what he's saying. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. God, I get angry because people don't love your word, don't value your word, don't view your word as precious. How can he say that? One author said this, 
if there's something or someone, rather, that's really precious to you and other people don't see the preciousness, it brings hot indignation. Gives this example. What if you're a parent with a special needs child? Your child is special, and you see how your child is special. How do you feel when others, in this case, forsake your law? How do you feel when others forsake, ignore, look down upon, don't see the value of that special boy or girl like you do? An appropriate response could be, I'm indignant that they don't value how precious my son or daughter is, how precious he is or is to me, how precious he or she is to God. And so an appropriate response at times could be, that's not right. And that's what he says. I love your law, and I get righteously angry when people trample or disregard your law. Here's the point. The psalmist delights in God's word. Why? Because he delights in God. He delights in God. He's not worshiping the word. It's not, I've heard some people say, it's not like Father, Son, and Holy Bible. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit reveals the Son through the Bible. But the Bible is not God. The Bible reveals God. And we know God through His Word. He he reveals Himself to us. And so as He speaks of loving the Word, He's ultimately speaking of loving God. Because you can put your finger on any verse. You can just pick a verse, and you'll probably find you or your in it. He's he's speaking to God. well, I just picked one. Just put verse 75. I just put my finger down. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. This is a, an I and you. The whole psalm, after verse 4, the whole psalm is I and you. I and you. So he's speaking about you, Lord. He'll say at times, your steadfast love. It's revealed, I understand it, and know it through the Scripture, but it is from you. So he is delighting in God. Now, if we are honest, and I put up on the city this week, or just a couple days ago, didn't give a lot of warning, but said, hey, try to read through Psalm 119 before today. So maybe you did it. If not, maybe you could do it uh, this week before you go to community group. But if we're honest and we read this, I think we'd have to admit that the psalmist experience is foreign to us. Love your law, think about it all day. Oh, I hadn't thought about it since last Sunday. The, his experience is foreign to many of us. I know he's writing poetically. Okay, so I know it's poetry. It's not, it's not uh, prose. It's not like an epistle or a narrative. I know he's writing poetry, but it still represents a sincere heart and attitude, a genuine delight in God. I know he's making comparisons. I know he's speaking in strong language um, as a vehicle of poetry, but he uses this, that vehicle of poetry to make a point about how glorious is God's word. He really delights in it because he really delights in God. And if we don't really delight in God, we won't really delight in his word. And if we don't really delight in his word, then our devotional life will feel like a dry discipline. If we delight in God, we will delight in his word. And if we delight in his word, then generally speaking, as a pattern of life, not all the time, but generally speaking, in our lives, then we will find encountering through his word is something that we delight in and not merely a discipline, but a discipline that brings delight. A discipline that brings delight. See, the good news is that God can change our hearts. The Lord didn't write Psalm 119 so that we all close our books and go, I quit. 
I give up. I'm not even, if that's a 10 for God's word, I'm like a 1.4. I quit. The, The reason God gave us this is because he wants to stir the same thing in our hearts. God wants you to be able to write this same poem. It's not going to be inspired. I'm not going to preach on it. Uh, We're not going to gather in a small group and discuss it. But he wants you to be able to write this same poem from your heart. He wants that if there was an assignment where he said, write an honest poem to the Lord about your heart for his word, that you would say not authorized spirit uh, inerrant statements, but that you would write something that would reflect the heart that the psalmist has. God is not a respecter of persons. God can change our hearts, and it begins with admitting what our problem is. Listen, if I am irregular in my devotional life, if I am haphazard, sketchy, if by 10 a.m. I cannot tell you one thing I read at 7.30 a.m., if it's just not a core part of my life, if I am the one in five evangelical church-attending Protestants who say they never or rarely read the Bible, if I'm in, in, in that group, then I need to rightly assess my problem. And I don't think it's a busyness problem. And I don't think it's a discipline problem. And I don't think it's a concentration problem. And I don't think it's a sleep problem. Though if you have a sleep issue, maybe first thing in the morning is not the best time to read the Bible. Maybe you should. If you've got a diagnosable physical sleep issue, then maybe you should redo your devotions at noon or at night before you go to bed. So it's not really a sleep issue because you have the rest of the day. I do too. It's not a busy problem, a discipline problem. I think it's a delight problem. And that's why how you feel about the Lord, your affection for the Lord, and your, will, will, will go to your affection for the Word, and that makes all the difference. I don't wake up every morning feeling this. Many mornings, many times I don't. I'm not saying that every morning there's no discipline involved. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that the Lord wants to cultivate something in us where it is part of our life to delight in the Word of God. Let me give an illustration. Maybe this will help. Yesterday, I went to the gym. It was packed. The machine I wanted to get on, uh, couldn't even get on it. Multiple people on there. It's January. The gyms are always packed in January. I can pick any Saturday in July and have my pick, my pick, I can have it to myself. The personal trainers are all on their phones just looking at that. Nobody, nobody's there in July. Why? Because right now, everybody with good intentions of health and fitness and weight loss are there. And they are relying on the boost of energy and hope that they get when January 1 comes And now, what are we, the third weekend? Now they're starting to rely on discipline. And they're there because they're disciplined and they want to get in shape this year. But their discipline will not sustain them. And I don't want to let you think it'll sustain me either because I just know that those machines are open in July because someone told me, not because I'm actually there. (laughs) Their discipline will not sustain them. I read this following statistic that 67% of people who pay for a gym membership never go. That's the entire business model. If everyone showed up, your gym would close down because everyone can't get in there. Only a third ever go. 
So the business model is that you will have a burst of excitement, a season of discipline that will sustain you days, weeks, maybe a couple of months, but then you will end up like the two-thirds of people who never go at all. I also read that 80% of the New Year's resolution crowd, which is yesterday at the gym, that 80% of them are gone by the second week of February. So the study shows by six weeks they're all gone, or 80% of them are gone. Discipline doesn't sustain us. Now, who's there in July at 5.30 a.m. working out? I'll tell you who it is. It is the person who seriously likes to work out. There are these people. They feel a buzz. That may be a bad term. They feel excited. They feel energized. They love fitness. They read fitness magazines. They're training for a marathon. They got a bigger goal in front of them. They actually come out feeling alive. And if, you, if you're around them, they're talking about it. What workout are you doing? Well, here's the workout I'm doing. These are the people that you know, it's one in five. The other 80% of us, we hate you, just so you know. <laughs> If there's kids in the audience, that's a figure of speech. I don't hate, we're not supposed to hate. That's a bad word. We really dislike you, especially when you brag about it. But there are people, it's their delight. Why are you there at 5.30? I enjoy this. Application. The person who is all excited like you and me about it's a new year and I'm going to do my Bible reading plan, we start off in Genesis is exciting. Exodus, discipline starts kicking in. Leviticus is the second week of February and 80% check out like the gym. It's exactly the same. What's the difference? Who's the person that's up five days a week in July reading? The highly disciplined person? Discipline has something to do with it, for sure. But even that discipline is worked in them by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of self-control, for one thing. It's the person that delights in God and delights in knowing God and experiencing God and realizes that God saved me so that I will enjoy him. That is a a primary reason God saved you is so that you would glorify him with your life. You would know him. You would love him. You would serve him. You would bring great honor to him. You would delight in him. He is eminently delightful. There is no one or nothing else in the planet, in the the universe, that is as delightful as God. He wants you to experience joy in him because that is what we were created for. And so when we begin to say my devotional problems are probably not in the first place discipline problems, that may play in, but they're probably delight problems. Because when I read this, I go, do I have, does he have a different copy of the Bible than I do? Because when I read what he's talking about, actually, he wasn't even reading Jesus. He was only reading the anticipation of Jesus, prophetically spoken. He had the first five books of the Bible. We have the glory, we have the word. Jesus is the word. We have the full revelation of the word come to live. We're recording his word, recorded his words and his actions In the gospel, we have the gospel. He could only anticipate what we have, and he wrote this way. Can you imagine what this, this is an anticipation of Jesus. We have Jesus. 
How should I feel about the Word of God? Well, I believe God's desire, as described in this passage, is that there would be a delight because God is my delight, because God is delightful. And it does not mean that we don't go through dry seasons. It does not mean that we couldn't read some other Psalms and say, where are you, Lord? It doesn't mean that we don't go through seasons where it is just grit and discipline to get up. But it's through those seasons of pressing through that he becomes our delight again. It's not by avoiding him. By saying, I have no discipline, I have no contact with the Lord, delight's not going to be created by absence. In this one case where absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence of the Lord will not make your heart grow fond to Jesus. Desire, uh, delight. Number two, desire. Desire. I'm going to read you a story about desire for God's Word. It comes from a book. Actually, I got this from an author named Donald Whitney. But he's quoting another book called The Wonder of the Word of God. He tells of a man in Kansas City who was severely injured in an explosion. His face was badly disfigured, and he lost his eyesight as well as both hands. Lost his eyes in both hands. He had only recently become a Christian when the accident happened. And one of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Bible. Then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. Hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. He discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had been too badly damaged to distinguish the characters. This is despair. He lost his hand, so he can't read Braille normally. Lost his sight. So he's trying to read Braille with his lips, and he, the, the nerve endings have been burned so that he can't make out each letter. One day, as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them. Like a flash, he realized, I can read the Bible using my tongue. At the time of Sumner wrote his book, the man had read through the entire Bible four times. That is desire for God's Word. A desire that presses through any hindrance and obstacle to encountering the God we delight in. I don't read that story to make everybody feel guilty because who doesn't feel like we don't measure up with that. I read that story to say that's a heart gripped with desire for the Word. Our desires are what we want. Our desires are what we think about, what we dream about, what we pursue. And this psalmist desires God, and he pursues God's word. He desires to encounter God, to follow God, to obey God, and thus the word is precious to him. Look at verse 20. Verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. See, culturally, we can't even rate to relate to that statement because we think rules means restrictions. But biblically, the truth of Scripture means freedom. Absence of God's rule means you're enslaved to sin in the world. Encountering God's rule, His grace, His law, encountering God's word brings us into a large place of freedom in our lives. So I'm consumed. This is a uh, he's expressing a longing. Desire is a longing, a constant longing. Throughout the poem, he expresses this longing to know God and to understand his word. Look at verse 135. 
135. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Make your face shine is a picture of blessing. Bless me, Lord, and teach me your word. There's this desire. I want your face, I want your blessing on my life, and I want to know your word. Verse 169. Verse 169. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. His prayer is not, Lord, if I get around to it, maybe sometime. He says, he says, let my cry. I am crying to the Lord because this is the desire of my heart. What is the desire of his heart? Give me understanding according to your word. I need to understand how life works. I need to understand how my life works, and I only get that from your word. Would you open me to your word, open your word to me, a desire for the word? He not only desires to know the word, but he desires to obey it. Look at verse 10, back at the beginning, verse 10. Verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. My whole heart I'm seeking after you. Seeking is the language of desire. We seek what we desire. We investigate what we are interested in. We pursue what we hope for. Don't let me wander, Lord. I don't want to drift from your word. I don't want to lose desire. I want to seek you with my whole heart. Verse 17, just a few verses down. Verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Lord, be, give me a great blessing so that I can follow and serve and honor and obey you. He asks not only to know and understand, but he desires to follow and to obey God. To obey God. He wants, he wants to encounter God through his word. He desires God, thus he desires his word. This is really seen clearly in verses 131 and 132. So if you could turn there, 131, 131 and 132. Now this language, this is some of the strongest language in the whole poem. I mean, this is powerful. Look at what he says, verse 131. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Okay, this isn't just desire. This is dramatic desi uh, des uh, desire. Dramatic. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me. I know it's poetry. so I know he's using sort of um, strong language but it, it reflects his heart. I long for your word. Would you turn and be gracious to me? Do you notice what he says? I long for your word, your commandments, turn to me. In, in longing for the word, in encountering the word, he encounters the God who turns to him and is gracious. That's what he's saying. We're motivated. Here's the reality. We're motivated by our desires. We're motivated by our desires. And the psalmist here has a deep, desire for the Word of God. That comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us a desire for His Word. And that creates a, as we take action on that desire, and when we take action, even when we lack that desire, that is when we encounter God, and ultimately He creates that in us. We're motivated by our desires, and we were redeemed by God to act on new and godly desires. We still battle the flesh, which hates the word of God. 
We still battle flesh. But the Holy Spirit creates in us new desires to experience him and to know him. What if I don't desire his word? What if I don't desire his word? Well, that brings us to the third and final point, dependence. Dependence. Delight in God and desire for God spring from dependence on God. Delight in God and desire for God spring from dependence on God. He didn't give himself these desires. He didn't create a heart for God. He didn't make himself pant after the word of God, love the word of God so that he thought about it through the day. He didn't do that. He didn't make that happen. God made that happen, and he is dependent upon God to create and to sustain his delight in the word. He can't even understand the word of God without help. He makes that clear throughout. He's dependent, and from his dependence upon God comes this heart of delight in the word and desire for the word. Look at verse 18. Flip back to verse 18. This is, if I was going to memorize one verse out of Psalm 119, this might be it. I mean, depending on what you're going through in your life. But generally speaking, this would be the verse. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes. That'd be a great prayer. Every day when you open the Bible, when I open the Bible, even if we don't feel like we're not even going to make it to the Bible, if, if we could pray that and ask for God to give us grace, Lord, would you open my eyes that when I open your word, I behold wondrous things so that there's wonder. Create wonder in my heart is what he's saying. Create desire and delight in you. He goes on, I am a sojourner on earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Hey, I'm a sojourner. I'm just traveling through this earth, trying to make it, and you're everything to me. Don't hide your commandments. Let me see them. Open my eyes so that I see and connect with them, so that I see you in your word. That's what he prays. Look down at verse 27. 27, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. So he, notice what he says here. He's dependent. He doesn't say, I'm going to meditate, and then I'll see wondrous works. That would be true, by the way. I'm going to meditate. But he says it in an independent way. Make me understand, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. So I'm dependent on you to reveal yourself to me, so then I pursue you and engage you through your word. Reveal yourself through the word and, and uh, make me understand. I love open my eyes is sort of nice. Open my eyes. That's, poet, that's poetic. Open my eyes to your word. The next one is make me understand. That's getting me in a headlock and beat it into me. Maybe not literally. I don't know. I can't say. But that's like make me. Make me get it, Lord. I'm needy. I'm dependent. See, we might not have desires like the psalmist until we start praying prayers like the psalmist. Maybe I have a desire problem because I'm not praying this prayer. Open my eyes to see wondrous things. I'm not approaching in faith. I'm expecting to see you in the Word, and you are wondrous. I'm not praying, Lord, make me understand. I'm wrestling. I'm asking. I'm crying. The language of cry was used earlier. I'm crying out to the Lord. Make me understand. We may get his desires when we pray his prayers. Verse 29, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Okay, here's what he's saying. Take the false idols around me, my desire for false idols, my delight in the things of the world which might not be from you, put that away. Lord, 
Lord, would you put to death, would you decrease, would you silence these desires I have for false things, and in their place, would you cultivate, graciously teach me your law, replace my desire for false idols with a desire for your word, which is a desire for you. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So this is, I want to keep your law, I want to observe, I want my whole heart to be about your word, but what comes prior to that in verse 34? Give me understanding. I want to know you, I want to obey you, but you've got to give me understanding for that to happen. Do you see? He's dependent. He is dependent. He asks God for help. He asks God not only to help him understand, but he asks God to help him obey. Look at verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Oh, what a prayer. Lead me in the pathway of your word, your commandments. I delight in your commandments. Incline my heart to your testimonies, not selfish gain. Lord, lead my heart towards you and not towards all the selfishness that I'm normally led to. Listen, it won't take a lot of work to wake up tomorrow morning and have selfish gain in mind starting with the snooze button. Okay, that's the first, the first experience of the morning for me is selfish gain. I could go do something for someone or prepare for my day to serve the Lord and others, but right now, I'm all about me. So it starts, and it is a battle, but we have to ask the Lord to incline our hearts to him through his word. He asked God to teach him. He asked God to turn his will. Next week, I'm going to talk about applying God's word. So I'm not going to get into this today because next week will be about that. The first week was what do we believe about God's word. Today is how am I to feel about God's word. Next week will be what am I to do with God's word. Conclusion, how can I grow in delight in and desire for God's word? Well, it's right in this idea. We must express our dependence. We start with saying, Lord, help me rightly diagnose the problem. Maybe the problem is not my busyness, my schedule. Maybe the problem is not uh, I'm just tired. Maybe the problem, maybe the problems is that, Lord, you really want to do something to create a fresh delight in you and my soul. What a great, how good is God? Is that he wants to create uh, a delight in him that we would see him and know him and experience him. That's what he wants for us. God wants your joy. God wants you to have joy in him. God wants you to have delight in him and the things he finds delightful. God wants you to experience the pleasure of knowing him and being sustained by him even in the difficulties of life. And he may give you some festive moments. Whoa, we got the spoil. And he may give you moments where it's just like, I delight in your word. They are my counselors. You're just directing me today very simply, very simple. So there's the daily sort of delight, and then there's the, wow, the the uh, eureka kind of moments in God's word as well. But we start with praying, open my eyes, express our dependence. That's, a, that's not a one-time event. We can't have everybody come down. We're going to pray for you that right now you get delight forevermore. Come on down one at a time. Delight, delight, delight. We can't do that. It's a daily prayer. I mean, we can pray that you have delight, and maybe you would right now. I'm not mocking that. But that's not for the next seven days. Every day, Lord, open my eyes today. Lord, incline my heart, that is draw me, incline is lean my heart towards you today. It's a daily prayer. Maybe, a, here's be a great exercise for, I know next week I'm talking all about application. Here's a great application from this. One application might be to slowly read through this psalm 
It's 16 minutes, I said, as a regular reading rate. So maybe uh, you could read at a regular rate over four days. You could read for four minutes. You'd, you'd have the whole thing read in four, four readings. But maybe you could read a quarter of it um, and just mark down, write down for yourself every verse that has to do with dependence and asking God to do something for you with regard to his word. That'd be great. Then at the end of four days and 16 minutes, you'd have a list of specific verses written down, typed in your phone, written whatever. And then each morning you could look at those before you read anything else and pray one of them. That'd be powerful. Just Lord, help me because it's all over this psalm. I read a few of them for you just now. Maybe you could memorize that psalm, that, that uh, verse that we read uh, earlier. Open my eyes, verse 18, I think it was. Yeah, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your law. That'd be worthy to memorize that verse. C- consider the conclusion. Talk about dependence. I didn't look at the last verse. Look at the last verse of the whole thing. 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Seek your servant. He's praying, God, come after me. (laughs) Open my eyes, that's nice. Make me understand, that's stronger. Come after me, that's strongest. Lord, seek me. He's not depending on his seeking the Lord. He's depending on the Lord seeking him, and he's asking for that. Isn't that beautiful dependence? Seek me, Lord. So one is express dependence. Two more points, and uh, we're done. I mean, two more applications really quickly here. Number two, engage the word to cultivate a desire for the word. Read the word so that you'll desire it is an easier way to say that. Discipline alone without desire will not sustain you over a lifetime, over the long haul, over the next 18 months or 12 months, maybe not over the next month. I don't know. But discipline will do this. It will put you in a place to receive God's grace and to have your mind change and to have your desires oriented towards God. So the discipline of putting yourself into the Word and engaging it will create this appetite. You have to, you have to do it to have the appetite for God stirred and created. Many of you have probably heard of Matthew Henry. He's one of the greatest Bible commentators. He lived in the late 17th and early 18th century. And his commentary on the Bible, the Matthew Henry commentary on the whole Bible, is still for sale. So most books written in the 1600s are not for sale. His is. One of the greatest Bible commentators to ever live. We, many of us know about Matthew Henry. None of us probably know about Matthew Henry's dad. Here's what Matthew Henry's dad taught Matthew Henry as a kid, he said. He taught them to meditate on one verse of Psalm 119 every day. So each day, I'm sure they did other reading, but each day they would take one verse wherever they came, wherever they were in 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 their order, they'd take one verse and they would meditate on it. They would marinate in it. They'd write down, probably wrote down thoughts about it, meditate, thought about that verse, and then did whatever else you do. The next day they did another one. He said that in a year you would go through this psalm twice. Not the whole Bible, this one psalm twice. And his dad said that if you will meditate on one verse every day about the glory of God in his word, you'll get an appetite for his word. It worked for Matthew. I don't know about anybody else in history, but it worked for him. It worked for him, and I think that's wonderful. What if you did that? What if you just meditated on a verse a day? In a year, you'd go through this twice. So engage the word so that God cultivates a desire. Express your independence I mean, express your dependence. <laughs> express your independence. Oh, man, that was bad. Uh, yeah, 
Young people, don't quote me on that one. Express your dependence. Number two, engage the word to cultivate a desire. Read it to love it, is what I'm saying. And last, make joy in God your goal. Some of us have made discipline our goal. I'm not bashing discipline, by the way, because it's beautiful. It's a work of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, I'm not bashing godly discipline. Uh, but it's not just getting through. The goal is not to read the Bible this year, the whole Bible, every word of it. And the week between Christmas and New Year's, you read half of it. And the, that's not the goal. I've done that. I've spent New Year's Day. I've got to get through it, so I did it this year. I'm sure the Lord's really blessed by that attitude, and I'm sure I got a lot out of that. <laughs> yeah, read a third of the Bible this week. Great. Why? Because I had to finish it this year. Don't, it's not just getting the reading done. Make this your goal. It's not checking the boxes. The goal is to delight in the Lord. The goal is to desire the Lord and to turn and apply the Scripture and obey the Lord. That's the goal. The goal is a changed life that starts with a changed heart and a new appetite. That's the goal. That's the goal. I want to read you something and we're done. Read you something from George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 19th century in, in Bristol, England. George Mueller is, both, is probably perhaps best known for two things, prayer and and caring for orphans. He had a massive orphanage, cared for many orphans. Oftentimes, the stories about George Mueller you may have heard are he, they didn't have any food, and he prayed desperately, and God brought in food for the kids. Lots of miracles in his life like that. George Mueller is known as a man of prayer. But he would say that it was his heart, what the Lord did in the Bible, that, that drew him to prayer. It was through studying the Scripture that his heart changed, where he said, being joyful and happy in the Lord through his word. That's what sustained him. How did he serve so many people? How did he sacrifice, live well into his 80s, I think? How did he live his life as a servant to so many? This is what he said. 19th century, uh, so language a little antiquated, George Mueller. According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. The most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and thirty years. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not of its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I specially commend this point to the notice of my younger brothers and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effective service is joy in God, having experiential acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. Then he wrote a number of years later when he was 70, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. And the means stayed the same. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it. What is the food of the inner man? Not prayer, but the Word of God. And not the simple reading of the Word of God so that it passes through our minds like water runs through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering over it, and applying it to our hearts. How did this guy have make, tr uh, care for tremendous responsibilities in life? He's the most important thing to me was I every day said, this is my important job. i got to make myself happy in the Lord 
which doesn't mean contented. I think we probably use the word joy more because happy may have a different connotation for us. It's like circumstantial. But he said, I had to have my soul joyful, confident, trusting, resting, delighting in God. And I did that through encountering his word. And then I was ready for all the business of life. Ask God. Be dependent. Secondly, read the word to develop a heart for the word. And three, set a new goal that I encounter and know and find joy in Him. And that's what sustains my life. That's what makes me fruitful. That's what gives me wisdom and grace is encountering the Lord. So is it important what our affections are for the Word of God? I think they're vitally important. Vitally important. And Psalm 119 makes that so clear. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.com dot o-r-g